Well, I'm always so appreciative to Richard for allowing me to preach sort of a mini-series of sermons every summer. I always look forward to it. And when I was considering what we were going to do this year, I came to the conclusion that we all need to be encouraged. I think we're living through some very difficult times for most of us, even over this weekend. Many have been isolated. Some of you who are watching us this morning, you've been isolated for weeks and some of you for months. And it's been very difficult. You've self-quarantined and you haven't been able to be with friends and family. Some of you that are in nursing facilities and senior care ministries, you've not had the opportunity to get out. And so you've been isolated. Some people are afraid. Marianne and I were out at the mall yesterday. It was really depressing to go out there. I mean, there was just nobody in there. And you go in the stores and there's very little. And one of the sales clerks came up to us. And you could just tell she was so deeply burdened. And she said, I'm so afraid. Because it just seems like, what's going to be our future? You see, that's the environment that we're living in now. People anxious. And I know, listen, all of you that have got children... And you're thinking about going back to school. What's that going to look like? Are children going to be safe? I mean, it's overwhelming. And I think about that almost every day. It seems like we get more bad news. And depending on who you're listening to, you know, I'm at the point, who do you know who to believe? It's confusing times in which we live. And so I determined that we need some good news. We need some good news. We need some encouraging news. And I'm not trying to be unrealistic because these are difficult times. But let me remind you that we need to be responsible, but we don't need to be fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We need to be responsible, but we don't need to be fearful. And so I picked Paul's, uh, this little letter, it's only four little chapters, in which Paul writes this letter to the Philippians and his one of the great purposes of his letter was to encourage them. They'd been through difficult times. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them. And the basic message of this little book of Philippians is one of joy. Paul says to us, rejoice and keep on rejoicing. Even in negative circumstances, difficult circumstances, we who are believers can find joy and we can find things to rejoice in. I think about this little book, some of the great verses in this book, verses like this, and I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Or this one, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul says, either way I win. Or think about these, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then that wonderful verse, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then the last chapter, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Don't those verses encourage you? Aren't they helpful to us in times like this? Well, that's this little book of Philippians that we're going to be unpacking. Now, here's the point I'm making this morning. We can rejoice regardless of the circumstances. When Paul wrote this, 
He was in prison. I'm going to talk a lot about that next week. He was in prison. And you know what? He wasn't discouraged. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't anxious. He was rejoicing. And so over these next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at various passages out of Philippians that bring encouragement and give us reason to rejoice. And so we begin in these opening verses, which focus on Paul's very special relationship with these people in Philippi. So we're in the first chapter, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11, and this is the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayer for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is God's word. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, this morning, may we turn our eyes on you. And I don't know what people are sensing this morning, but... Often we are overwhelmed with all of the bad news, the difficulties, uncertainties that we're living through right now. But we know that you're God, you're good, and that you know and do what's best for us. And so I pray this morning that we would be able to lift our eyes up off these circumstances and and look at you and begin to think about all the things that we have to rejoice over. And so, Lord, bless us now as we open your word, for we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me, before I get into dealing with the text itself, let me remind you that the way that we handle the issues that life throws at us so often have to do with our mindset, our focus. And it's so easy, particularly now, isn't it? It's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to focus on the negatives, all the bad news that comes to us. But you see, if your mindset is only on the negative, and I simply point you to Paul. He's in prison. And what is he doing? He wasn't dwelling on the negatives. His focus was on the Lord. That's why he said, rejoice in the Lord. Let me say it to you again. Rejoice in the Lord and in all that he's done for us. So what I want to do this morning As we open up this passage, every now and then we're going to pause. We're going to pause. And we're going to say, let's think about this. What is it that we have 
that we can rejoice in this morning. So, the very first opening words of Paul here, uh, how thankful he was, his love and gratitude for these people. In fact, he says, I thank my God, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Now, what he's saying is, when I start thinking about you Philippians, you have brought great joy in my life. And every time I pray, every time I pray, I think about you. And when I pray, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, there's no question that Paul had a very special place in his heart for these people. He loved these people. In fact, this was the first church that he planted in what we know today as Europe. And so you could tell they'd be very special to him. And if you go back and read in Acts, the founding of the church, when Paul went to Philippi, it was his habit of going around on the Sabbath day and finding places of prayer. And on this occasion, he went to one and he found a group of women who were there praying. They were worshipers of God. And he goes to them and he begins to talk to them about Jesus. He begins to talk to them about the gospel. And there was a certain lady who was there, the first convert in Philippi, a lady there whose name was Lydia. Lydia was a seller of purple. She came from Thyatira. She was there. She had some kind of of interest in God. And so now she hears Paul talking about the gospel, and we read this wonderful thing about her. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. He opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, here's our first pause. Can't you rejoice? You're here this morning, and you understand the gospel. Can't you rejoice that it was God who opened your heart To grasp the meaning of the gospel. You see, God began a good work in the life of Lydia that day when he opened her heart. And the very first step of our salvation is when God opens our hearts, when he regenerates us, when he causes us to be born again. Lydia was converted along with all of her household, which was interesting. They were all baptized and here is a beautiful, but you're going to see it in Lydia, and the other person I'm going to point you to is the Philippian jailer. In both cases, not only was Lydia and the Philippian jailer converted, but their whole household was. All right, let me pause again. Aren't you thankful when you begin to look at your family and you begin to see God at work in the members of your family? Mary and I every summer do a little camp uh, for our children and grandchildren at our family mountain home. And we've done this for many, many years. And every day we start out in worship. And actually what I did this year was what I'm doing with you. I was prepping for what I was going to do in church here. And I was teaching them out of the book of Philippians. We have times of worship. And I couldn't help but sit there and look at my children and my grandchildren and think, I have so much to rejoice in. You understand what I'm saying? What's your focus? Are we going to focus on everything negative? Look at all of the things that we have to rejoice in. We need a fresh movement of God's Spirit to bring us that joy and peace. And sometimes He uses difficult times to do that. 
Well, God started that work in Lydia's life. She was converted. And you know what happened? She opened her house and that became the very ministry center for Paul and for his ministry as he planted the church in Philippi. And let me take you to one other one. Remember what he's saying here. I have this special place in my heart for you. You were with me from the very beginning, participating with me, partnership with me in the gospel. Well, let me take you to the other one that's notable. It's the Philippian jailer. Do you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? So Paul is there, and he meets a young woman who is a slave, and she has an evil spirit, and she's able to tell fortunes. And her masters were making a fortune from her fortune telling. Well, she got to be where she irritated Paul and Silas a little bit. So they prayed over and God removed the evil spirit from her. Well, that also meant she was, she, she was not able to tell fortunes anymore. And her masters became extremely angry. So what did they do? They went and took Paul and Silas, drug them into the marketplace created a ruckus over it, took him to the magistrate. The magistrate, they accused him of bringing an uproar in the city. The magistrate takes them and strips them, beats them, throws them into prison. And it's it's even precise. It says into the inner cell of the prison and fasten their legs with chains. All right. How does that make you feel? You know, here you are in ministry. And you're out there, it's all in your perspective. Because let me tell you what the scripture says. It says at midnight, in the prison, with their feet bound in chains. It said at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were rejoicing, even in prison. And then what happens, a sudden earthquake comes, shakes the foundation, Prison doors open, chains fall off. The jailer wakes up. The jailer goes in, sees what's happened. Penalty, if you let prisoners get away, was execution. So he knows, I need to end my life right now. He goes to take his own life. And Paul cries out and says, don't do that. Don't do that. He said, listen, we are all here. And the Philippian jailer comes running in, trembling, falls at their feet. And you know what he says? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all of your household. And that's exactly what happened. The jailer took Paul and Silas into his home. They preached the gospel there in his home. And his whole family became Christians at that point, and they were all baptized. And then you read this little verse about the Philippian jailer. Look at what it says. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. All right, let's take another pause. Can't you rejoice? Can't you rejoice? Can't you be filled with joy because God gave you the ability to believe in him? It's a work of his grace. Well, a church was then planted in Philippi, and Paul was overwhelmed with joy. He said, I always 
pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so you could see why these people were very, very special to, to Paul. And so he wants to encourage them. And so he says this to him. He says to the people there, look, you have been so special to me and I know what God has done in your lives. But I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. Here's what he's saying. Just like Lydia and Philippian jailer, the very first thing was he opened their hearts. Once he opened their hearts, you know what he's saying here? I will never let you go. I will always be with you. I'm going to continue to work in your life. And even when we are prone to wander as we are sometimes and get away from him, he is not going to let us go. His love for us is a relentless love. And yes, there may be seasons where we wander away. There may be seasons where we slip away from our spiritual zeal. But I'll tell you this, he will never leave you. And I don't know, during these difficult times, I'm sure there are some people who question God and maybe people who are even wondering about faith and can we trust God through all of these different things. Let me tell you something. He will never, ever let you go. And he is going to complete in you that which he started. All right, let's take another pause here. Can't we rejoice over this, that God is at work in us, and He will not let us go. He's going to always hold us. Well, Paul had this great love for the Philippians. And that love that he had for the Philippians was the love that he had experienced in Christ. This is what he said. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ. In other words, he says, the love I have for you is the love Jesus has for me. And I can testify to you how I long for you with the affection, with the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted the Philippians to know that he wanted them to know the love of Christ. And he wanted them to be able to share that love with each other. And so he comes to his prayer and in his prayer he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, I want you to follow with me for just a moment what I'm saying here. First of all, Paul affirmed his love for these Philippians. He affirmed his love for them. He said, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. He had a special place in his heart for him. And he said, I testify to you. How long for all of you with the affection of Christ. And then he prayed for them. He said, I love you with the love that Christ has loved me. Now, I want you to know that love. And I want you to abound in your love for one another. In knowledge and depth and insight. And when he's talking about that, he is talking about the love of God in Jesus Christ. That very special love that we experience. That agape love. It's the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Paul knew, so he expressed his, his love for them, that the love that he had received from Christ, he wants them to abound in love. 
But he knew that that love, he knew from experience that that love was entirely dependent upon the love of God. In fact, in Ephesians, he wrote these words. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Look at that phrase for a minute. Dearly loved children. Listen, let me ask you this question. Do you realize how much you're loved? Do you realize how much you're loved? We're God's dearly loved children. In fact, we're told how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. Look at the language there. How great a love that the Father, listen to the excessive language here, that the Father lavished, He just pours it out on us, that we should be called the children of God. We are the dearly loved children of God. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but that makes me rejoice. You know, I know I'm loved by him. And I am his dearly loved child. I have a father in heaven who loves me and cares for me greatly. We can rejoice over that. And this love we're talking about is not just some kind of an emotional feeling. It has deep and abiding meaning. In fact, Paul would go on later to write in Ephesians He prays that we would know this love, but he says, really, it's a love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's too great for us to grasp. Are you you catching this? This great love that the Father lavished on you, it's so big, it's so awesome, it's so great that we can't even comprehend it, that he would love us that much. And here's my point. When we begin to know God's love for us like that, We can abound in our love for others. Look, we need to be reminded, and I hope you hear me this morning. God loves you. And he actually says that you are precious to him. Can you imagine that this morning? There are so many people who feel unloved. But I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian, you are loved with this great love that has been lavished on you by a Father in heaven who absolutely loves you and considers you precious and adores you. We can rejoice over that. But now I want to take another step. But what about our love for him? What about our love for him? There are times, at least in my life as a Christian, there have been seasons in my life when I knew that my love for him waned. And my love needed to be rekindled for him. I couldn't help but think about this when I was working on this sermon. I was thinking about Christ's message 
in Revelation, remember the seven churches, I couldn't help but think about the message that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And in that, he said, I know all of these wonderful things that you've done. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate evil men, that you have discernment. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. I know that you persevered. I know you've endured many hardships in my name and you haven't grown weary. But I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Wow. Look, here's what I was thinking. You know, we can get so busy in our all the things we're doing in life and even in our church work. That's what was happening to the people in Ephesus. They, oh, they were busy in their church work and they were doing all these things and it just all these different things, spiritual things. But there was a fundamental problem. They lost their first love. What about you this morning? You see, first of all, you've got to realize how much God loves you. Here's, here's the problem with the Ephesians. They forgot how much God loved them. And it is easy for us. It's easy for us to forget how much we're loved. And I promise you this. When you forget how much your Father in Heaven loves you, your love is going to get cold. And I don't know what season of life you're in right now. Maybe that's where you are. So how do we deal with it? Well, Jesus gave the people there an answer. And this is what he said. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Interesting. He said, remember the height from which you had fallen. I don't know about you. When you look back on your life and you remember when you first were captivated by the love of Christ. I remember it so well. I was in my early 20s. I'd been religious all of my life. I was one of those people like the church at Ephesus. I did all those things, sort of new stuff. But there was a big hole in my heart. There was something missing. And I remember clearly one day an insurance salesman shared the gospel with me. And he talked about how much Jesus loved me. And he said something like this. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have come here and died for you. And all of a sudden, this Christianity business became very personal to me. And I realized that Jesus loved me with a love that I could not comprehend. I was in absolute awe of it. John Wesley, when he was converted at Aldersgate, you know, he made the statement about his conversion. He said, this is what he said. He said, my heart was strangely warmed. Let me ask you this. When's the last time your heart has just been strangely warmed with the love of Jesus? You know, he may be allowing us 
all of these difficulties and trials and to help us learn again what it is to experience his love and to learn how to love him. You see, the very first thing he says is, remember what you once had. Remember what you once had. And then he says one word, repent. Repent. In other words, what he's saying is this. Let's be honest about it. You don't think God knows that your love for him is kind of weak right now? He says, be honest about it. Repent of it. Tell him. Go to him in confession. Look, here's the real confession. What is the greatest commandment? Of all of the commandments, what is the greatest? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. By the way, if you ever think you're not a sinner, go to that first one and realize how many times a day you don't love God that way. He's saying, repent of the first commandment, (laughs) the greatest commandment, that we fail to love God. Remember what you once had. Repent of it. And then it's very interesting. He says, do the things... That you did it first. Do the things that you did it first. In other words, let me put it. Go back to the basics. I think that's what he's saying. Go back to the basics. Oh, I remember well. Boy, the love of Christ became so real to me. I'm a young 20-year-old something. And I'm telling you, the love of Christ captivated me. And I couldn't get enough. I could not wait for Sunday mornings to go to church. I couldn't wait. Be with the people of God, to be in worship, to sing the great hymns and psalms of the church. Couldn't wait. I love being in fellowship. We got in fellowship with other Christians. We were in another group before this that pulled us down. But I'll tell you, when this happened... We began to develop new Christian friends, and we had all this in common. They were there to encourage and to love. I couldn't wait to be with them. Oh, I was longing for the Word. I didn't know much about the Bible. I knew a little bit about it. I longed to know the Bible. I longed to learn about prayer. One of the men who discipled me started teaching me about the basics A Bible reading and meditation and prayer and having a a quiet time. And I'll tell you the first thing. And by the way, all these years later, the first thing I do every morning is to go be with Jesus and have that quiet time. I learned that when I was 20 years old. And you know what happens? When our love for him begins to wane... Part of it is we just get careless and we stop doing the basics. (laughs) We stop doing the basics. We don't come to worship consistently. We're certainly, we're not in the Bible. We're not reading the Bible. Our prayer life, maybe not much at all. You want to have your love rekindled? Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and go back to the basics. And I would ask you this morning, 
If you're one of those people, your love is not where it needs to be with Christ. Would you be willing to do this? It's, Christ said this. Remember what you had. Repent. Go back to the basics. Well, as I'm pulling this to a close, here's the real key. There has to come a point in our lives where we allow the love of Christ to control us. Second Corinthians. For Christ's love compels. It compels, it controls. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me tell you something. Here's the key. It is the love of Christ. The love of Christ will compel you. The love of Christ controls you. There has to come a point in your life where there's a change in the seat of the affections of your heart where you begin to love Jesus more than you love yourself or anybody else. And I'll tell you what, when that happens in your life, there is a change that's going to take place in you. There's a change that's going to take place in you because you're going to experience his love like you've never experienced it before. And his love then is going to compel you and control you. And when that happens, we will no longer live for ourselves. We're going to live for one greater than ourselves. And our love for him will be rekindled. And it's then that we would be able to abandon our love for other people and to discern what is best. And we will be able to rejoice no matter what circumstances we have. Because we rejoice in him. Charles Wesley wrote the wonderful, wonderful words to the hymn, And Can It Be? But you remember the refrain in it? Amazing love. That's what Wesley said. Amazing love. Look, it's my prayer this morning when you walk out of this place that you have been captivated by the amazing love of Jesus for you. And you could join Wesley in saying, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Three R's I'm going to leave with you. First, remember how much you're loved. Remember how much you're loved. Secondly, rejoice in that love that Jesus has for you. You have every reason to rejoice that you're loved that much. And then thirdly, rekindle your love for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, it's impossible for us to understand the extent of your love. We know that. But we know that your love has been lavished upon us. That we are the dearly loved children of God. And so I pray this morning that God, when we walk out of here, 
And we go back into that world out there, world of negativity, of bad news, of difficulties and fears and all those things. That we would remember how much you love us. And that we would walk out of this place this morning rejoicing in the love of Christ. And God, forgive us when our love has grown cold. Help us to have that love for you rekindled. And let that love compel us and control us. For we make this prayer in the name of the one who loves us beyond anything, the Lord Jesus. Amen.